This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Have you ever taken a photo of someone you don't know in public? I have taken pictures of people and posted them on Snapchat before. I would lie to you if I say I haven't done it. And I would just like throw it in a group chat and stuff just for internal laughter and stuff with friends. There was this guy who apparently took a picture of me and my boyfriend and put it on his timeline. If I see someone and I really like their outfit, I'll take a picture of them. People of Walmart was a really funny blog for a while. I saw a guy smoking a cigarette once on the subway with like the door open. I was like, I have to take a video of this. No one is going to believe me. Hello, welcome to Why'd You Push That Button, a show where Ashley Carmen, hello, and Caitlin Tiffany, that's me, examine the choices technology forces us to make. Today, we're talking about why you take a photo or record a stranger in public. Yep, why do you do it? Viral content always calls. Are you a bad person for doing it? This is the key cue. And I think this episode came about because, I mean, I really didn't want to do a Plain Bay episode, but then Plain Bay just imploded and I we had to talk about Plain Bay. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I missed Plain Bay because this is when I was working at a now defunct feminist media startup. <laughs> and Where the internet doesn't exist. Mostly doing event planning. I'm not sure how that happened. Um, so I kind of missed Plain Bay. If you want to like Take me through the paces a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to go too deep on this because we've all heard about Plain Bay way too much except for Caitlin. So this is only for Caitlin. <laughs> Caitlin, Plain Bay was when a woman and a man swapped seats with another woman or man. I don't remember who swapped with who. But the idea was that this couple wanted to sit together and then just so happened that this woman, these two strangers, woman and man, ended up sitting next to each other. And this one woman was like, I'm going to record and see if they fall in love because that's everyone's dream on a plane is to get seated next to a stranger and fall in Did love. Did they make out? There was a whole thing about how they went to like the bathroom together and she like recorded this happening and then it turned into like a scandal on the internet where it was like people started slut shaming the woman anyway you're jumping ahead the point of the story is that this woman filmed their entire relationship developing and posted it online where it went viral without this woman or man's consent the man happily took the attention and like put his name out there and like I think maybe even went on Good Morning America like that's weird I've never heard of a man doing something like that before (laughs) and the woman did not want to be named she just didn't want to at all be part of the story and it really turned into this big conversation on the internet of when it is okay to record someone, did this woman need to ask permission to post about them? Should she have asked for permission? What are the norms here? And uh, it's a little dicey. A little dicey. Okay. Well, so we'll get into that. That all sounds really serious. It is um, serious. We should probably ask an expert Love about that. Love is serious. First, let's start off with our rough, gross, unformed, unprofessional opinions. Ashley, what's your personal take on recording people in public? So I do think it's changed over time. I have one friend. You know what? I'm going to put him on blast. Colin. You mean your literal roommate whose bedroom is like four feet from yours? <laughs> Colin is the troll of this universe. He has a knack for viral content. He just knows how to spy something and record it, and it will like be funny. 
He's just good at it. It's a talent, really. Yeah. But okay. so when I first met him, we were like in peak viral content season. And I remember we would record things or he would record things. And Wait, what's viral content season? I mean, it was just like, like a time Scorpio in our lives season? where we were like, content is fun. And now we both hate content. Okay. <laughs> so he's made viral content of me far too many times. And I'm on the receiving end. One time we record, oh my God. One time I was eating, we both lived in Queens and I was eating at my favorite shawarma place in the window (laughs) and he recorded me from the subway platform and like pointed his camera down at me literally while I'm stuffing my face with shawarma and it's like I could feel his camera on me. So in the video, he starts recording, I'm like eating, and then I look up directly at him. No! <laughs> Why like haven't I seen this? It sounds it's so It's pretty scary. funny, but also <laughs> sad. Anyway, Colin and I used to enjoy making content, and now I think things have changed where, like I said, we both no longer love content, and frankly, I feel strange recording people in public or taking photos of them, so I don't really do it anymore, but at, at times... I need to take a picture of something I see because sometimes things are just really strange and you got to document it. Like, I don't know, one time a woman was streaming Shrek on the subway next to me and I was like, that's funny. So I recorded <laughs> her screen while she was recording Shrek. But not her face. But I, re- I will not capture faces. Okay. That's my rule. Okay. So I have two rules for okay. recording in public. You can do it if the person is mean and doing something bad. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you can do it if the person is hot. Like hot guys on the subway reading books or whatever the hell it is. I don't know what that is. There's that Instagram I'm account. I'm specifically thinking about all of the really great photos of Jake Gyllenhaal chewing on his headphones. But he's on a the celebrity. Subway. Okay. And I'm also thinking of our good pal Nicola Fumo, who used to work at Racked, and my current boss, Julia Rubin, who had oh. a habit of tweeting photos of cute boys in sambas. Adidas Sambas specifically, such as the ones Jake Gyllenhaal wears in Donnie Darko. Did they show their faces of the cute boys? I think mostly no, because they were tweeting them. I, I think both of them would be re- responsible yeah, enough Julia to Julia seems faces. very responsible. But yeah, well, as we learned about Julia when she was on the podcast, she there are no pictures of her face <laughs> in existence. I think those two scenarios are both okay. And before like people get on me about like objectifying men, what I mean is that you can take a picture of someone if it's to pay them a compliment. Compliment, okay, like you're taking Everyone a picture of a boy and calling him cute. I don't know if somebody took a picture of me and said like, "Look at this hot chick reading on the subway." Oh my god, no! One, like <laughs> I wish that I could convey to you the hideousness of my outfit. I am not and general going to right litigate <laughs> pancake face. Okay. Um, well, That's anyway, bad. I guess what I'm saying is if the person is really mean and they deserve it, you should do it. And if you're just doing it to like for like a private little joke amongst friends about like this cute looking dude in his like super basic Adidas shoes, whatever. Fine. Who are you hurting? It's fine. So it sounds like unsurprisingly, we've thought about this. We've established our own rules. But there are plenty of people in this world who do not live by these standards necessarily. And I'm thinking specifically of another recent incident that happened, I think, in early September where someone recorded a homeless man shaving on the train. This person didn't know he was homeless at the time. But this clip went viral as like, ew, like who does that type of thing? Mm -hmm. And then it came out that this man is homeless. Yeah, and then it turned out that he was just like going to visit a family member and really needed to look presentable. Yeah. It's just like, it just gets worse and worse. I think that really crystallized this whole 
issue we're trying to figure out here is like when is it okay sure shaving on the subway is gross today a woman was filing her nails next to me on the subway and I was like girl come on sometimes people eat crazy food next to me and I'm like why man but do I need to take a picture and make it go viral and can I (laughs) should I is it allowed is it allowed will lawyers come after me oh we're talking about legally allowed I mean yeah there's that too like actually is it allowed and then as a society is it allowed Who are we going to talk to about these very important questions? So I called up a woman named Portia Coleman. I'm an actress, singer, dancer, born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Back in the early days of Vine, Portia recorded that infamous Vine of a woman freaking out in the Apple store. Honestly, I love this video so much because I feel like I'm really just like a a hair away from behaving that way in public. So this video went viral. And if you've seen it slash you just heard it, you can probably figure out why. The woman in the video is super angry and she's standing in the middle of an Apple store screaming at the top of her lungs in an employee who is remaining very calm, by the way, extremely professional. On top of that, this woman has a baby in a stroller and she's pounding on the stroller in her fit of anger. It's freaking crazy. Portia's been on the Disney Channel. She's been on shows like Wild and Out, Entourage, The Parker, Seventh Heaven. And this was a day that she was just a woman waiting for her turn at the Apple store like any of us plebes. I had an appointment because something was going on with my iPhone. I see this lady walk up the stairs. She, The lady came with the baby and she was kind of pacing around back and forth. Wasn't saying much at all. And then I just kind of left it alone. And then I could start seeing her pace more back and forth and... Then I noticed she was breathing really heavy, and I'm like, everything okay? Now, if you've ever been to an Apple store, you know you can end up waiting forever, even if you have one of their stupid genius bar appointments. But what's strange about this was that the woman screaming didn't actually even have an appointment. I was like, that's weird. She's got her kid and automatically came in hostile. That's what I noticed automatically. I was like, damn, this lady's a little... Something happened maybe earlier in the day. I didn't really know. And I'm like, wow, this lady needs to chill. She hasn't been here as long as I have, and I have an appointment. So this woman berated the Apple Store employee for a few minutes before Portia pulled her phone out to record. Because I was just going to do something if she had got really, really loud and, you know, boisterous. I was going to do a post about, you know, consumers obviously matter, but so do the people that work at these places that help us. Portia was feeling bad for this Apple Store employee, even though they were staying super, super calm during the entire meltdown. And the employee was trying to explain to the woman that she needed an appointment or she would have to wait for God knows how long. But this woman was not having it. And that's why Portia decided to take it to Vine. She said she wanted to basically shame this woman for treating the employee so badly and make kind of a PSA out of it. And the moment I clicked it, she just wailed. I was told by <laughs> Apple Care. That I can walk in the store and get the part. And she slams like on the baby care. The video, of course, eventually went viral. I started getting notifications on my phone. I saw something that said like a thousand notifications. I was like, what? A thousand notifications? What do you mean? Next thing, 2,000. This was in a couple hours. And it just started going up. And I went back to look at it and it had like 50,000 views. And then it had 20. It was just going up. And I'm like, what? Who posted this? Like, what happened? And then I don't know where I started getting calls from people saying, who is this lady? What happened? What's going on? Was it set up? Was it planned? I said, no, it wasn't planned. <laughs> Not at all. This lady just went from zero to 60, and I just so happened to be at the right place at the right time to, to catch her. Portia's Vine was shared everywhere, including BuzzFeed, Gawker, and Jezebel, who all wrote about it. And then, of course, Jimmy Kimmel invited the Backstreet Boys on his show to do a spoof of it. One, two, three, four. I was told by Apple Care 
that I could walk in the store and get the part. I was told by AppleCare that I could walk in the store and get the part. So when videos of people behaving badly go viral, the consequences can range from being Twitter shamed and turned into a meme like Barbecue Becky to actually losing your job. And Portia says she doesn't know what happened to the woman as a result of her video. I've never been reached out by her. Someone asked me if I knew who she was or her name. I said, I have no idea, no clue who she is. If she were to reach out to me and, say, and ask why I taped her, I would say I, I taped it because... I had no idea what was going to happen, but also what was going on. It was uncalled for. You know, I'm, I'm one to stand up for good service and also someone who's a consumer. I, I straddle the fence, you know, with both. I understand people who are overwhelmed, let's say, that work all day long in a restaurant and who've had long days. And, you know, it's like people have stuff that happens in the daytime. But still, she doesn't see that as an excuse for the way she treated this employee. She looks bad because the representative is just still standing there and never wanted the girl raise her voice. Portia recorded this video in 2013, and you could argue that in the last five years, we've completely normalized taking pictures of and recording strangers at their lowest and most embarrassing moments. But again, Portia doesn't feel bad about posting the video. She thinks videos and photos that call out people's bad behavior are useful and maybe even needed. I saw a picture the other day when someone was on an airplane and someone had their feet out and they were in the window seat and their toes were coming through their side of the window seat. That's gross. Like, Absolutely, I would take pictures of stuff of either, this is a message, this is gross. And then if it's something, like I said, that's more, you know, funny, then it's like, oh, wow, take a look at this. Can you, oh my gosh, I captured this funny moment. I love, you know, late at night, trying to fall asleep, scrolling through my timeline, just seeing what are people capturing? Like, what is their life like? I get where Portia's coming from and why she doesn't feel bad and all that, but I'm sort of like, all right, girl, what about the surveillance state and the fact that we're enforcing societal norms on people? Like, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. First of all, the government wants to spy on you always, so, like, we're just doing it for them. So, like, mm -hmm. we're creating the surveillance state. And also just the idea that the threat of being surveilled by anyone, whether it's state or public people— makes you change how you act, and what if we all have to start acting differently? I'm not saying you shouldn't be a belligerent, like you shouldn't be belligerent on the sidewalk, like for sure, but I'm also like, how else could this trickle down and affect behavior? Yeah, I mean, I think people like in general, just being in public should affect your behavior. Like the chance that people are going to see you and judge you, that's like how people operate anyway. Yeah. I guess when I'm talking about bad behavior, I don't mean like record someone shaving their face on the subway that's bad because it's gross i mean bad behavior like people being like cruel or mm -hmm. like like crime no but like did you see the video of like princess nokia like freaking out on some racist guy on the train and like throwing no. a thing of soup at him that was a great vid i'm so glad that that oh, moment was yes, captured on tape i think portia was right like this woman was clearly like berating some like people who work in the apple store make almost no money despite the fact that they sell wildly expensive products mm -hmm. they should be making commish <laughs> i don't know if this is Caitlin's platform please vote for her <laughs> and they don't deserve to be screamed at by some lady with like a really hideous empire waist maxi dress. We got to keep the people in line. And the only way to do that is by recording them at all times. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I guess to go against my, my own argument here, I spoke to Carly Weisel. I am a freelance journalist who specializes in travel writing and theme park journalism, but I have contributed to RACT for 
the better part of my adult life, I'd say. Carly has an eclectic wardrobe and a career that I'm very jealous of. Listen, if you can con people into paying you to go on a roller coaster, you never have to grow up. So she told me all about her horrifying experience of being photographed in public. It was in, I believe, early 2015. At the time, it was when Snapchat was real hot. I was living downtown. Her Snapchat experience ended up being a total horror story. I was wearing my finest vintage Mickey Mouse sweatshirt, which is tattered and has holes in it, but I think is still very chic. And then I was wearing it over this sequin harlequin print dress. It's very 80s. It's an 80s cocktail dress, essentially, which I dressed down by pairing it with a sweatshirt and ankle boots. And then in the late afternoon, when I went to a yoga class, I got a text from my best friend from Chicago. And she had taken a screenshot of a Snapchat that was sent to her from her sorority friend group that was a photograph of me with a caption that said, oh, New York. It never crossed my mind that someone would be taking a photo of me and sending it around. It's just so strange to get a photo of yourself taken from an angle you didn't know anyone was even looking at you. Carly wrote about the whole ordeal for Racked in a piece that was called I Was Fashion Shamed on Snapchat. And it got back to the woman who posted her picture. In the end, it ended up being very funny. And I felt so bad because it got back to her. And I think she felt so bad because she didn't mean it in a in a condescending way. She was just like, oh, wow, people here dress crazy. But I kind of like spoke to her through my friend and we I was like, no hard feelings. This is the funniest thing that's happened to me in a very long time. <laughs> but also I stand behind that outfit. I asked her if this made her think twice about taking pictures of other people in public. And she said that she hadn't really done it a lot to begin with, but now she would never do it. And she also says it made her a kinder person. Personally, because I've had something like this happen to me, I will never view it the same way. I kind of took inventory of the way I was living my life. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized I wasn't really taking photographs of people, but I was talking a lot of crap about people. You know, being in New York City, you're no space is personal and you coexist with people in a way that's extremely unique. So my Twitter feed at the time was just complaining about everyone. Everyone at the airport, everyone at the Dwayne Reed, everyone in line in front of me ordering food. Just I would shoot off these complaints and not ever, ever consider it could get per back to the person of origin. And since that day, I have not lived my life the same way. So she has one exception, which is if she really, 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 really loves somebody's outfit. And in that case, she might take a picture. And then at any time that she shares the picture, she explicitly labels it to indicate a purely positive, complimentary reaction. I've taken a photo of someone a couple times and it's only been because they were a stranger, I was in a foreign country, I loved their outfit, and I didn't want to have to kind of paraphrase that in broken French. So I've only ever done it to praise someone, but I would never. Now that I truly understand firsthand how small the world can be, I like that. I've run into that issue where I've seen people in really cool outfits or like have a lot of rings on or something that looks sick all together. And I'm like, how do I capture this? Because I love it, but I don't want to seem creepy. And also I just don't, I don't want the wrong idea to come across. So I think you have to be blunt with the caption. Yeah. 
she also agreed to me that, of course, it is very weird that people think that they can take photos of whoever they want on the subway. But I asked her if she had witnessed the cute boy in Samba's saga since she was so well acquainted with the women from Racked. Yes, <laughs> to the point where my old coffee shop, there was this guy that was the quintessential cute boy in Samba. And it, I just couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to take a photo. I was too spooked. Okay, so where are you, did this like change anything about your perspective on recording? Or are you still like standing by your rules? It's okay to photograph cuties. I think it's okay to photograph cuties. I mean, what happened with Carly was like somebody was kind of mean girling her. Mm-hmm. We don't really need to debate this. We can just <laughs> I think ask we're going to disagree expert. on the cute boys rule. I don't know why. Since when are you not interested in photos of cute boys? I am interested. I just feel bad taking photos of their faces because if I would be flattered if someone was like, this girl's cute. But I know not all women would be, so. So instead of bickering, let's ask a lawyer. Yeah, so we're going to call up Jennifer Ellis, a true legal expert and ethics lawyer, who's going to tell us when you can record. Like, there must be rules around this, so, you know, we got to find them out. Let's go do that right after this break. We're back with ethics attorney Jennifer Ellis, based out of Lexington, Pennsylvania, and she is going to tell us the rules. Jennifer, can you tell us what's allowed? Like, can we actually video record in public? (laughs) Hard rules from a lawyer. Lawyers will never give you hard rules um, because (laughs) the answer always is it depends on the specific situation. Of course, we're talking about the United States. That's the first thing I need to say. And the second thing I need to say is... When you deal with state law, the laws vary greatly across the country, and then we have federal law as well. So generally speaking, though, uh, when you are in public, it is legal to record someone, video record or audio record, as long as they do not have what is called an expectation of privacy, or rather a reasonable expectation of privacy. And generally in public, You do not have a reasonable expectation of privacy, and so you can record people. Can you define a reasonable expectation of privacy? You have a reasonable expectation of privacy on the phone, meaning if you cannot just record somebody you're having a phone conversation with unless you're in a one-party consent state and you consent, or if you're in an all-party consent state, everybody consents. The other thing to understand is that video recording and audio recording are not the same thing. For video recording, if there's no sound, you actually can get away with a lot more than you can with an audio recording. If you are in your home, your personal home, and other people start recording you, generally speaking, you have a reasonable expectation of privacy in your home, though other people in your home do not, unless it's in the bathroom or perhaps the bedroom where they're spending the night, something along those lines. It's important to understand, though, that people can set rules for their own buildings, even if it's a government building. So if you go into, I don't know, a Starbucks, and they say, put your camera down, you're not allowed to film in here, they can do that because it's a private business. If you come into my house and I say, you are not allowed to record in my house, and you start recording, you are violating my rules, all right? And the moment I tell you to stop, and you fail to stop, and then I say leave, and you fail to leave, now you're trespassing. This is interesting because one of the users we interviewed 
actually recorded a woman going off in an Apple store. And I guess in theory, it sounds like you're saying that the Apple store could have had its own rules about recording that she might not have been aware of, even though in her mind it was a public space. Correct. Of course, Apple would have to tell her, leave, stop recording. And of course, a lot of private spaces that are public, let's say you're in a gym, for example, it's one thing to record in the gym, let's say there's no specific rules and you start recording somebody. It's another thing if you start recording in the locker room. If you take a picture of somebody partially undressed or as they're dressing in a locker room or in a bathroom, now you're violating a whole different set of rules. We as a society generally expect that when we are undressing or dressing, we have an expectation of privacy. And it's reasonable to have that expectation. I'm thinking back to the model who shamed a woman, took a picture of her in a partial state of undress and then shamed her. I'm sure you're familiar yeah, with that. Yeah, that, that happened recently, I think. Right, and that's actually a criminal case. Because when you take a picture of somebody in a state of undress, you're going beyond just simply recording someone in public. You're violating their privacy in an extreme way. And you really want to be careful if the person's underage. Because if they're underage, even if you don't know, now we have a child pornography problem. Right. Lord. But going back to the original question, if you happen to be walking along and you see somebody engaging in behavior that you want to record or you're on a plane, we're seeing a lot of that. Yeah, I was going to say planes and trains seem to be the like, are those public spaces? And then what the rules are there? Because like Plain Bay and then the recent like homeless man on the train shaving thing. There's also lots of like prior to Plain Bay, I think like the viral I'm seeing somebody doing something insane on an airplane thread was like pretty common. And the subway is just mm-hmm. always full of viral moments. Oh, totally. People feel like they can take a picture of anyone at any time on mm-hmm. the subway. They can. They really can. There is no expectation of privacy on the subway. But isn't the MTA like the owner of this? Wouldn't it be like a private space? Well, the MTA could say you're not allowed to, certainly. And then they could try to enforce those rules. But it's not going to be a crime. At the most, it's going to be, it's going to turn into trespassing. And as long as you leave, it's very unlikely that you're going to face any charges. So I guess to move this to like the next friction point, I guess we'll call it in what we're talking about. How does the law apply to the way that these like images or videos are then disseminated? So like what obligations do platforms like Snapchat or Instagram or Twitter or Vine, may it rest in peace, what kind of things do they need to be worried about? Here in the United States, we have laws that provide a great deal of protection to the websites. The person responsible for posting is the person who would have any, in the most part, is going to have any potential legal ramifications, not the website. However, the law does require that if the item, if the image should violate the law, that whether it's violating copyright or violating child pornography rules or uh, violating some other law, that there be a methodology through which you can ask the website to take it down. But that would be, let's say you recorded a video of yourself. You have copyright in that video. And people can't just share it. You know, the copyright on the internet confuses a lot of people. A lot of people think if it's just, if it's on the internet, I can share it. It's no big deal. But that's actually not true. The person who recorded the video or took the photo owns copyright in it. And they could choose to enforce that. You see that a lot with the viral videos where people get upset because they want to make money off their video. And they're upset that people are copying the video and sharing it. Now, a lot of people don't care. 
But I've certainly had people call me and say, my viral video, on which I'm making money because I have commercials on it or I'm selling it to the news, I'm losing money because other people are sharing it. And what should I do about that? That's a copyright issue. You have to be careful in assuming that you're just sharing something because it's on the internet is okay. And that's actually where we've seen successful suits. If you record a video of me in the public, and I don't like the video, and people are being mean, I really can't do much about that. It didn't violate my copyright. It didn't violate any laws. It was in public. I didn't have any reasonable expectation of privacy. And so you could record me and you could post it. Where the trouble arises is if you try to make money off of me. I have something called the right of publicity, which means I have the right to control who makes money off of my image. And the most famous one of these cases I can think of is the one involving, I think he was called like the Viking warrior or something. He was a guy dancing after he had helped somebody who was being bullied. And what happened was the person who recorded the video ended up making some money off of it. And that's where he got in financial trouble. And there was a lawsuit and he ended up having to give the money up. I don't know how people are making money off viral videos. Well, like a YouTuber. You don't actually see many suits like that because normally the people aren't making enough money or people just can't hire a lawyer. Let's be honest, lawyers are expensive. Or most people just don't know that they have a right to control their right of publicity. On the other hand, like I said, if all they're doing is posting it and that video goes viral, even if really mean things happen as a result, even if the person gets bullied, even if the person gets death threats, there's really not much to be done about it as long as the underlying recording was legal. And that's because we have two ways you can sue somebody uh, and have compensation if somebody causes you emotional distress. One is called negligent infliction of emotional distress, and the other one is called intentional infliction of emotional distress. And the laws for these two things vary greatly around the country. But negligent infliction of emotional distress doesn't really apply. The, the law just doesn't really fit to viral videos. Intentional infliction of emotional distress would require that the person really set out to hurt you, really engaged in outrageous and horrific behavior themselves and meant to harm you. And we don't see that in these things most of the time. All we see is somebody happened to record something, they have no idea it's going to go viral. And even if they did think it was going to go viral, they're not responsible for the bullying conduct of other people or the death threats by other people. If there are death threats, you go to the police. I think maybe it just would be good to talk a little bit about police brutality videos. I mean, this kind of goes in the same vein. It sounds like you're saying basically with police recordings, one, they're on the job, they're doesn't seem like there would be an expectation of privacy when they're pulling someone over and there's people involved and it's in a presumably a public place. Because that's actually one of the better things that's come out of having basically a recording nation is we get to see exposed this like terrible underbelly of police brutality. So if you want to talk a little bit about like the legality there. The first thing I want to say is in my experience, most police who get recorded handle it pretty well. I've seen many recordings where the police just pretty much ignore it. And that's what they should do. The only way the police should interfere with a recording is if the person doing the recording is interfering with their ability to do their job. There ha are police who don't understand that the public has a right to record them, both because they have no reasonable expectation of privacy when they are out in public 
just like anybody else. And because they are acting as public servants and they are doing their jobs, and it's certainly something of public interest. So you are correct in your assessment of what I would say. It is perfectly legal to record the police when they are out in public doing their job, as long as you in no way are interfering with them. The problem is that some police do not understand this. They take the law that says that you cannot record someone who has a legal reasonable expectation of privacy, and they decide it applies to their specific circumstance. And they will order you to stop, even though you're not causing any trouble, or they'll try to delete the video, which is completely illegal. They cannot do that. So we see people getting arrested. So if I were advising someone, I cannot obviously give however many people hear this legal advice, that would be inappropriate. But if I were advising someone, I would say, if they tell you to step back, step back, even if you don't think you're interfering, because the court is going to give the officer deference as to whether you are interfering. So step back. If they tell you to stop recording and you refuse, now you have to do a risk assessment. And your risk assessment is, will they arrest me, even if it's wrong to arrest me? And can I deal with that? That's something you have to decide. And that's really all I can say about that. And then just conversely, you have police who now wear body cams. So you have them also recording people without their consent too. So I'm assuming it kind of goes both. I mean, you can't ask the police officer to turn off his body cam. No, you cannot. And that becomes an issue, of course, when they're in your home. But once you're being involved with the police, you can just assume that your reasonable expectation of privacy goes away. So taking this entire conversation all together, kind of sounds like to me, everyone can just keep on going ahead with those viral videos, (laughs) assuming you don't get told to stop recording in like a private store or, you know, in certain circumstances. But for the most part, it kind of sounds like, yeah, these viral videos are going to keep happening because like, it sounds like the law isn't necessarily going to prevent them. It's going to have to be more of a societal, cultural expectation of like, you know, it's not cool to do this thing. You are 100% correct. As long as the person is in public, as long as they do not have a reasonable expectation of privacy, these recordings are 100% legal. So if we don't want them, that is a societal issue because I cannot begin to think of a law that would be constitutional that would stop it. That was very interesting. I don't know if it really resolved our problem because Jennifer basically said, go for it. Record anyone at any time. You're fine. Yeah, unless maybe if you're in the Apple store, because it does sound like Apple would probably have rules around recording and technically Porsche might have been breaking them. But I think they would have to explicitly tell you. Right. They would have to enforce it. For yeah. sure. But yeah, pretty much in public, you are free to do what you want, which is why oy vey. my big, big, oh my gosh, I got Caitlin to say oy vey. This is a big accomplishment. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley's the first Jew I've ever met. <laughs> anyway, my big takeaway is that I need to stay home often if I don't want to be recorded and then I will only be throwing parties in my own home and I will not be leaving my home except to come to the podcast studio as for we, fear of being recorded. <laughs> as we've addressed, it'd be very hard to record me because of my pancake face problem where my bones melt into my face. So if you did record me, you'd be like, this is alarming. I had to re- report this to a ghost hunter and you would not put it on the internet. I will not relitigate <laughs> pancake face. Okay, well, let's move on. Who are we talking to next? We're talking to Catherine Cross. She's a sociologist who is going to probably speak more to my concerns about the surveillance state and the idea of forcing people to conform. 
I'm so glad that while this show has really grown and evolved, we've never strayed from our mission to bum people the fuck out. (laughs) So we are back with Catherine Cross. She's a sociologist and game critic based out of the University of Washington School of Information. She wrote about Plain Bay for The Verge. Hey, Catherine. Hello there. It's so nice to be here. Yes. Thank you for joining us. So to start off, can you tell us about what you do and how you started thinking about people recording in public? Well, a lot of what I do, both academically and in popular writing, is study toxic behavior on the internet. Why do we do bad things to each other online? Why we can't have nice things, right? (laughs) So to start from like the first, like the recording person's end of the equation, like what makes us want to record other people? Like what do you think is the motivation of someone on a plane to be like, oh, look, these people are going to hook up. I'm going to, like, detail it and put it on the Internet. So there's that old canard about social media, right? It's free at the point of delivery. So what is being sold, actually, right? And the answer is you. You are the product being sold by Facebook, by Twitter, etc. And that shapes not only how we use social media, but what we do to each other on social media. It creates an environment where people actually are incentivized to turn other people into content. Because the currency of social media ultimately is attention, right? It's getting likes, getting followers and so forth, raising one's profile. The woman who was responsible for the Plain Bay photos, right, she's an aspiring, I believe, comedian and actor, for example. So especially in the current economic climate, it's especially important to raise one's social media profile. But how do you do that? You have to get attention. You have to create content. And the nature of social media is such that it creates these perverse incentives for people to farm each other for content, regardless of consent, right? Regardless of the ethics of doing so, because that's what's saleable in that attention economy. So do you think that people are considering the, their motives before they hit record? Or do you think it's just at this point an impulse? Or do you think people are stepping back and thinking, is this mean of me? Is this? Am I doing this out of good intentions? I think that it's a little from column A and a little from column B, right? Because on the one hand, you have people who are doing this without any great expectation that it's going to become viral. But they're doing it because social media collapses the boundaries of privacy, the boundaries between what you want to do and what your mental model is of what another person wants to do. In the world of social media, you are dissociated. I shouldn't just say social media, but the Internet in general. You are dissociated from the humanity of the people you're talking to. And as we are ever more attached to being online constantly, that kind of seeps out into the physical world where we treat another person as the sort of dissociated monadic personality that we approach each other as online, as content creators. And we lose sight of our humanity in that way. But more specifically, I think that, yeah, you can say that People can go into this sort of thing with good intentions and not wanting to hurt anyone and also not necessarily cognizant of the fact that they have been incentivized to do so by this attention economy. So they might not even be thinking about virality, but they may value it 
highly if it happens. So you touched on this a little bit, but in your um, the piece you wrote for The Verge, you mentioned like this has a benefit for tech platforms, especially in this case, you brought up Twitter, which had been suffering a lot of bad PR and kind of needed one of these heartwarming stories. And also T-Mobile, who came and was like, mm-hmm. we're going to reimburse the woman who was tweeting for the Wi-Fi she bought on the airplane. Um, what are some other, I guess, like common ways that tech platforms would benefit from this kind of thing? They benefit from engagement, right? So you are the product. And while some analysts might say that that's too pat of an analysis, I think it remains quite solid because at the end of the day, all that matters is not the quality of engagement, but the fact that people are logging in, that they are typing, that they are liking and sharing content. And that brings people to the site that gets eyeballs on ads, right? And it allows more data to be harvested, which can then be sold to better target those same ads, right? So this sort of thing is nice for Twitter because then they could have pointed to it and say, see, we facilitate all of this wonderful, charming, heartwarming uh, connections between people, right? As opposed to, you know, the fact that Twitter is frankly overrun with Nazis and toxic harassers of varying, various and sundry stripes, right? That's good press for them. But the reality is that all engagement, regardless of how fluffy or how nasty, is good for these companies because that's how they make their money. And these perverse incentives I'm talking about that sort of trickle down to the end user where we get trapped in the logic of these platforms is initiated by the companies themselves because that's the economic model they're operating off of, right? That all engagement is good because it's profitable, that what matters at the end of the day is that you keep people coming back. I'm wondering how a social platform can totally, like, basically zap humanity out of people in the world. Like, you're sort of saying that social media is just encouraging us not to see others as humans. But how can a social platform alone do that? Like, social platforms launched with the promise of connecting you with friends and family and actually making the world more connected. So is it just because you can go viral or because you're incentivized to create something clickable or snackable? Oh, I think it's deeper than that. Uh, It's twofold, right? On the one hand, we have been communicating creatures almost since we emerged from the slime. But we've been telecommunicating creatures only for the last 150 years or so, right? We have still not fully adapted to what it means to be a social animal in mass society, but particularly networked mass society. And secondly, we are still grappling with the reality of that networked society. To this day, there are still parents raising their children saying, you know, log off because the internet's not real. The people you're talking to on there are not real. Only face-to-face interactions matter. And there's an irony in that sort of Luddite perspective being exactly the kind of thing that fuels the toxicity that we see online because people do subconsciously perhaps, but ultimately meaningfully approach the internet and feel like what they do there has no consequences, that they are removed from the consequences of their words and deeds and that they are therefore distanced from the humanity of the people that they're talking to who are apprehended by them only as words on a screen or perhaps an avatar, but not the embodied face-to-face interactions 
that trigger our empathy, our mirror neurons and so forth. And we are still learning, I think, as not just a society, but perhaps as a species to sort of rewire, if you like, our empathy to work with dealing with one another online, how to recognize a digital avatar as a human being like ourselves, who we might feel empathy for. Seems like that could take years, (laughs) maybe generations. (laughs) So like, In the meantime, I guess, like while I'm waiting for people to recognize my avatar, which is actually a photo of Reese Witherspoon, are there behaviors that are kind of emerging, I guess, to avoid being the person who goes viral? Like, do we see people acting in different ways in public because they're like, oh, you know, anyone could be watching me at any time? Is that something that you've looked into at all? I think that we're just starting to see that because this all happens so very quickly that even folks who are very tech savvy are rather surprised at what can go viral and the alacrity of it. Just before I moved out to Seattle, I was in a subway station in New York and a man shouted uh, racial slurs at me and I screamed back at him quite quite vulgar fashion. (laughs) And it was cathartic, but I do distinctly remember thinking, gee, I'm glad no one filmed that and put it on YouTube or Mm. any of these other sites, right? Yeah. I think that that's probably going to start becoming a more common attitude as we begin to add the possibility of this sort of thing to our mental model of things that can happen out in the world. What you just mentioned also, I think, brings us to something you touched on very slightly in the Plain Bay piece, which is the idea that, like, just to go, like, super dark, as dark as we possibly can, recording people in public all the time is also, like, we're all just kind of participating in the surveillance state. Like, we're just, like, surveilling each other all the time, like, for better or in some cases and, like, for worse. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that's one of the more insidious aspects of this is that a lot of people's vision of power is you have the uniformed state official bearing down upon the masses. And obviously that is a very real form of power that has to be understood in those terms. But we forget the ways in which we can exercise power horizontally, that we can hurt each other with exercises of power and privilege. And this is one of those things. My long-term fear is that the, and in the article I use the term surveillance, which was conjured in, I think, the 90s to be a contrast to surveillance, right? Surveillance, surveillance from below. That instead of being liberatory, that, you know, we surveil those in power, we end up instead surveilling each other and policing our behavior as a result of that because of fear that we might go viral, right? Fear that we don't have even the tiniest sliver of privacy on a plane or out in public, say. And, you know, granted, historically, these are not places that we have thought of as private, but we also didn't think that what we did there would blow up to millions of people, would blow up to morning shows and the evening news alike, much less millions of gawking people online trying to find your identity, which is what happened to that poor woman that was the other half of the plain bay couple, right? We don't grapple with how that can happen and how we have the power to do that collectively, much less how that is actually in some ways very useful for the corporate world, for governments, because it means that this is now a new way in which people can sort of enforce social codes upon each other 
in a variety of ways. Like the Plain Bay case is not the clearest illustration of that, but that dynamic of a person photographing or taking video and then blasting it out to the internet in ways that get hundreds of thousands or even millions of people to act coercively on an individual, uh, that dynamic is potentially very dangerous. And I don't think enough people appreciate uh, just how dark that can get. So this is kind of the big question, I guess, for me is overall cameras everywhere, microphones everywhere. Is that a good or bad thing in your mind? Because, you know, you do have Plain Bay, which isn't even the worst example like that. Like you mentioned, it was actually meant to be kind of a heartwarming story. Like it went bad, but there's been way worse cases recently. There was the homeless man who was like filmed in a train station Mm -hmm. and like that was just really messed up. But then in the same vein, you have police brutality being captured. So like that's been a really positive thing to be coming out of cameras everywhere. So Mm -hmm. where do you stand on cameras, microphones, surveillance, all of it everywhere all the time? Oh, and I absolutely believe that, you know, the sort of classic utopian vision of surveillance is still with us, right? Like so much of recent activism against police brutality, uh, so much of Black Lives Matter has been fueled by being able to show these videos of exactly what the police are doing in ways that uh, sharply contradict what would have been previously the unquestioned narrative of the state. And that shows the power of this sort of thing. I think that we should resolutely resist any attempts at regulating the uses of mobile cameras, for instance, because you're seeing this, you're seeing this in Ireland right now, even where there's a push to ban filming of the police in the line of duty. Right. There's a very good case to be made that that is fundamentally undemocratic, that the public should always have the right to watch the watchers, so to speak. So that stems in many ways from the sort of utopian vision, the sort of transhumanist techno-utopian vision of cameras being everywhere, right? Because the thinking there was that if everyone has a camera, if everyone is filming, and if nothing is truly private, then nothing is also truly shameful. And the state has just as much to fear from the public as vice versa. But that's not how power works. And in addition to all of these positive uses in terms of surveilling the state, you do still have all of these unfortunate and even terrifying use cases that we're going to have to find another way to deal with. But I would be very hesitant to say that laws would need to be passed just because of how easily that's exploited to stop proper surveillance of those in power. So I think that that's what what sort of stays my hand. And we're going to need to develop uh, opt-in ethics around these matters instead. I sometimes romanticize those days before everything was digitized. But at the end of the day, as someone who identifies as a cyborg, would I say, let's go back? No, I, I, I remain an eternal optimist who says it's better that we find a way to live with all of this so that we may enjoy the many benefits of these technologies. I believe quite firmly that we can find a way to be fully human even in an age when we are technologically augmented because the point is that we are changing what it means to be human. And that's not a bad thing. That is part and parcel of the historical evolution of our species. 
So as we expected, what we learned from Catherine was pretty bleak. Yes, indeed. I'm feeling down. <laughs> down in the dumps. <laughs> yeah. So basically, it's like not our fault, though. All of these social media platforms has set these like freaky feedback loops. Yeah. Where you get rewarded for using other people to make viral content. It reminds me of when we did the episode about followers, where we talked about how the platforms purposely emphasize follower counts. Like that is shown to you publicly. Kanye West is all big on this right now, where that is emphasized and it makes you very self-conscious about your follower count and also your likes and everything like that. And so the same thing is happening here with the recording where, yeah, the tech platforms especially with videos like on Instagram, for example, you see how many views you get. Mm-hmm. Things are shared. You could end up on the Ellen DeGeneres show if you really go viral. Oh, man. Like, the tech platforms reward us for making viral content. And the reality is, like, what are you going to record? You're going to record babies, maybe some cute animals, and other humans. There's not that much other stuff to record. Like, the most interesting content that's most likely to go viral is something about another human, for sure. Cool. So we're forced to do it. So we answered the question. That's why. Yeah, because we are forced, and we can blame technology for this. Before technology, you just wrote in your little journal that you saw a guy shaving on the train today. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you were one of those, like, street photographers. Maybe. Well, when it comes back to, like, our ethical question, I think I'm going to pull a cop out here. Mm-hmm. And say, it's not me and Ashley's job to explain to you the correct behavior in every possible context. You know, you got to just like roll with the punches. There are limitless permutations of human experience. And sometimes it is a good and decent thing to record someone. And and sometimes it's not. Yeah. I would just say err on the side of caution here. Not because you're going to get arrested, as Jennifer taught us, because the (laughs) law does not care what you do with your iPhone. But Yeah, but you might hurt feelings. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, be aware and think about how you would feel if you were being recorded. Oh, my gosh. That's my PSA. We just golden ruled it. (laughs) All right. Now it's time for my spiel. As usual, you can follow Caitlin on Twitter at K-A-I-T underscore Tiffany. You can follow me on Twitter at Ashley R. Carmen. Thanks to our producers, Bridget Armstrong and Andrew Marino. Listen to the podcast as you already are. And if you aren't already subscribed, please do that. And uh, if you dig it, maybe tell a friend. Evangelize for us. We can't (laughs) do it just on Twitter. No one reads Twitter anymore. Oh, man. Okay. Well, you can also email us at button at theverge.com. Yep. If you have any thoughts, suggestions, compliments, mostly. Or if a you'd photo like, of a cute boy. <laughs> please don't send me photos of me. I will get fired for soliciting photos <laughs> of cute boys to a work address. So we're going to be doing a little mini series about Mm -hmm. Instagram this season, which I'm sure everyone's really excited about. And we want to hear from you for it. So please email us at buttonattheverge.com if you have ever bought something really weird on Instagram or gone to a really weird Instagram pop-up. Quote unquote museum. Yeah, quote unquote museum experience, you know, branded area where you're supposed to take a photo. Mm -hmm. Or if you are in love with an influencer and responsible for taking their photos at all times. Especially if you're whoever was taking Taylor Swift's photos from 2015 to 2017. I want to talk to you. (laughs) Please do it so that Caitlin doesn't get angry. Who is taking all those pictures of her baking in her home? Maybe Ina Garten. All right. We're wrapping up. See you next week. Bye.